0: Let's pray together. God, would you remind us this morning how unique and special this moment is. Lord, that we gather together with hundreds of other believers in this room for the sole purpose of hearing from you. Lord, I pray that you would renew in our hearts a hunger for your word. I pray, God, that by your spirit you would create a lean-in posture to hearing from you today. God, I pray that you would show us something about who you are, about who Jesus is, and God, that that would cultivate awe within our spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a leadership interview in 2006, a well known evangelical pastor, someone that you all would probably recognize his name, argued that the church should be run like a business, one in which the pastor is like a CEO. In fact, his response to the question, should we stop talking about Jesus and pastors as shepherds was this, and I quote, absolutely, that word needs to go away. Jesus talked about shepherds because there was one over there in a pasture he could point to, but to bring in that imagery today and say, Jesus or pastor, you're the shepherd of the flock, no. He continued and said, quote, I've never seen a flock. I've never spent five minutes with a shepherd. It was culturally relevant in the time of Jesus, but it's not culturally relevant anymore. Nothing works in our culture with that model except the sense of the gentle pastoral care. Obviously, that is the face of church ministry, but that's not leadership, end quote. Have you ever thought, similar thoughts, whenever you've come across the Bible, wondered, how is that culturally relevant? I want us to look at that question as it relates to uh, John chapter 10 this morning. And I want us to consider this question. I want us to think through if we would lose anything about the heart of God if we remove the idea of shepherding from the Bible. In other words, I, I wonder if the idea of shepherding embodies something unique about who God is and his care for us that is irreplaceable today. Or is this idea of shepherding something that we can trade out with something that's uh, more culturally relevant, like CEO, something that uh, c- could you know, relate to us more in this day and age without losing anything about God? Our passage this morning, we um, are introduced to two more um, I am statements, one from verse seven that claims Jesus is the door. And then verse 11, where Jesus claims that he is uh, the good shepherd. You can put that on the screen here. We've been walking through John, and we've seen uh, numerous I am statements so far. Just a reminder, there are seven of these that we're going to, to see throughout John's gospel And John has selected seven because seven was the uh, kind of the Jewish's understanding of completion or fulfillment. This is John's way of uh, kind of showing us that Jesus is coming in and he's fulfilling all that the Old Testament was pointing to. Everything uh, that the Old Testament had, Jesus has come and is replacing. And so these seven I am statements, Jesus saying that he is the door and I am the good shepherd, shows us something unique about God. And yet in John 10, in this discourse, this is probably the the closest to a parable that we're ever going to see in this gospel. Remember, this is a unique feature about John's gospel compared to the other three gospels is that John doesn't really provide any parables uh, from Jesus. There aren't any parable teachings or discourses by him. In fact, John 10, even though it's the closest thing to a parable, it should be more classified as a symbolic discourse in which a given metaphor provides the framework for extended reflection. Okay, so that's exactly uh, what we're going to do with John 10. We're going to look at this metaphor, and we're going to contemplate about who God is. And so to aid us in that way, I want to provide kind of the framework this morning by stating that there are two sections in verses 1 through 21. The first one is, is a contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherds. Contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherds. Now in understanding this contrast that Jesus is making here, we need to remember what came before John chapter 10. If you remember a couple weeks ago in John chapter 9, we looked at the healing of the blind man and the harsh treatment by the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. I think that's important to kind of remind ourselves about the context because that informs the purpose of the shepherd imagery that Jesus uses. See, Jesus is drawing a contrast between his loving leadership compared to the religious leaders' harsh treatment of the people of Israel. That Jesus healed and cared and loved and accepted this blind man in John chapter 9, and yet the Pharisees interrogated and cast him out from the synagogue and the community. Now we first notice this contrast in verses 1 and 2, that Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, and then in uh, in verse 1 we also see him describe these false shepherds as thieves and robbers. Now, throughout this contrast in John chapter 10, Jesus is most likely painting this picture against the backdrop of Ezekiel chapter 34. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God kind of describe uh, the religious leaders of Israel as under shepherds. Uh, They were called to to love and to care for the people of Israel uh, sacrificially and unselfishly. And yet when you get to Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord is rebuking these religious leaders of Israel. He's calling them out for being self-centered, for being greedy shepherds, not caring for the flock. In fact, in Ezekiel 34 verse 23, uh, there is a promise that God gives. He says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. That's important to know, kind of as the backdrop of our passage, because that prophecy will be, prof- will be fulfilled here in John chapter 10. That The son of David, Jesus Christ himself, is the good shepherd of his sheep who will now feed his people and will give himself up for them. So John 10 is a, uh, you could call it kind of a symbolic picture of what just happened in John chapter 9. that uh, John is affirming the blindness of the Pharisees and uses this contrast to do it. Now within this contrast, there are three key differences that I want to point out between the good shepherd and the false shepherds. Here's key difference number one. Notice the difference between the way that they enter into the sheepfold, the way they enter into the sheepfold. Now, because the ancient Near East was primarily a, an agricultural society, we need to understand what it meant to shepherd, what it meant to care for the sheep back in Jesus' time in order for us to kind of catch this contrast that Jesus is using. See, in those days, when you lived in a community, whether it was a, a large family or kind of like a, a neighborhood there was one large central sheep, uh, sheepfold, kind of a, a central pen in that, uh, in that community. And what these families would do is that they would bring in their flock of sheep into the sheepfold, and at night they would pay a gatekeeper to kind of spend the night with the sheep there and, and keep guard uh, during the night. Now in the morning, the gatekeeper would only open the gate for those that were truly the shepherds of the sheep. And so as they would walk into the, the sheepfold there, these shepherds would walk in, and they would have kind of a mix of all kinds of different sheep from their families or from the neighborhood. And yet when that shepherd would begin to speak, and some of the shepherds actually would sing a very specific song, the sheep that belonged to that uh, specific shepherd would recognize that voice, would hear that voice, and would follow and would obey that shepherd. They would not do that to the false shepherds. They wouldn't do that to any other person that walked into that sheepfold. And so this relationship between the gatekeeper and this shepherd uh, was really, really important. It was built on trust. It was built on familiarity. And so when you apply that knowledge to this metaphor that Jesus uses, specifically in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is saying that the false shepherds who represent the religious leaders of Israel during this day they would enter into the sheepfold incorrectly and many scholars believe that the pharisees during this time they ascended to the positions of leadership and authority through dirty politics and bribes and so Jesus is beginning to kind of call that out here in this moment saying that no no those are the false shepherds who do not have your best interests in mind But I am the good shepherd. I am the one who enters the sheepfold by the gatekeeper. And when you get to verse 3, you start to look at, okay, who is this gatekeeper? And there are all kinds of different theories about who the gatekeeper actually is. Some people believe that uh, this refers to the Old Testament prophets. Some believe that this refers to John the Baptist. Others believe that this is a a reference to the Holy Spirit or even uh, God the Father. And some people believe it's God the Father because of John 6, where uh, no one will be drawn into Christ unless the Father draws them. Now, I think it's important as we think about metaphors all throughout Scripture, uh, not to get caught up in parsing out every little detail that's given in a parable or within a metaphor. And the gatekeeper here is not the main point of the passage. It's not the main point of what Jesus is trying to get across. The main point is the good shepherd. Now, my personal opinion is that the gatekeeper refers to John the Baptist. I think that's who preceded Jesus, who is opening the gate for Jesus to walk in now and lead the sheep. But we need to keep the main thing the main thing, that Jesus is the good shepherd and he entered the sheepfold the correct way. Now, we've seen movies and We've seen, um, you know, different people that we've interacted with in this life who uh, ascended to a position of authority or leadership incorrectly. You know, we've read books about that, seen different TV shows. And what typically takes place is that when they arise to that position of leadership incorrectly, their relationship with the people that they're trying to lead is always impacted negatively. And that's exactly what we see with key difference number two in this wonderful contrast is that the relationship with the sheep is very different between the good shepherd and between the the false shepherds. The good shepherd has a relationship with the sheep that's marked by intimacy. It's marked by familiarity. Compared to the false shepherds, their relationship with the sheep is marked by distrust. And when you get to verses 3 through 4, you see this wonderful description of this relationship with the good shepherd. Jesus, Jesus says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, has brought all, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Again, remember the context here that these shepherds would enter the sheepfold with all kinds of different sheep, but they would begin to speak and those sheep that belong to them recognize that voice and would respond In fact, the best shepherds actually had specific names for their sheep based on the characteristics of those sheep. He would call them fluffy or black ear, and they would respond to that. Now, that description there is is something of trust between the shepherd and the sheep. It's marked by familiarity. It's marked by, by being known. Being a shepherd is very relationally centered during this time. And this type of of intimate relationship that the good shepherd has is in direct contrast with the false shepherd. If you look at verse 5, you see the stranger coming in, or the false shepherd, and the sheep would not follow that person's voice, that person's leadership, because of that lack of familiarity and a lack of intimacy. If you drop down to verses 14 and 15, Jesus again expounds on this intimate relationship even further. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. So I'm gonna pause there for a moment. Look, this is one of the most staggering claims that Jesus has made so far in the gospel of John. There there could not be a more dramatic expression of intimacy than this right here of Jesus describing his relationship with the Father and says that that intimacy that I have with the Father is the same kind of intimate knowledge that I have with my own sheep. Just think about that for a moment. Like the Father and Jesus has this eternal bond, this eternal sense of intimacy and unity And yet Jesus says that same type of intimate relationship is the same type of intimate knowledge and awareness that I have of my own sheep. Like this is one of the most powerful truths that we have come across in the gospel of John. That Jesus' knowledge of you, if you are his sheep, extends to the deepest part of who you are. There is not one detail that is foreign to Jesus about who you are. Jesus' knowledge of you extends far beyond the time of your birth. You think of Psalm 139 here that says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Like you need to use this truth and this reality when you are battling thoughts of insecurity and you're battling thoughts of of self-worth, when you're battling the failures of your past, that the God of the universe knows you in the most profound way possible, that God knows every secret in your life. God knows every worry. God knows every unrealized longing. He knows every disappointment. He knows every shattered dream. God knows every single sin in your life. And yet he not only knows you, but God loves you with a fierce and all-consuming love at the exact same time. Think about that. The God of the universe who knows everything in the world, including you, he knows all of the dirt in your life, knows all of the skeletons in your closet, and yet loves you with a fierce and all-consuming love. Look, one of my favorite quotes by Tim Keller talks about this balance that God has for us. He says this, he says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Look, you are fully known and fully loved at the exact same time. And nothing can ever, ever change that. Look, that truth is a game changer that reality, that has to change your life today. The, the fact that God knows you and loves you, that, that creates a real sense of freedom that, that eliminates, it removes kind of this, uh, this game that we play with God, this, this hide and seek game where we hide aspects of our lives for fear of rejection with him. We don't have to play this this cosmic hide-and-seek game with God anymore because he knows everything about you and he loves you and accepts you because of Jesus. Look, this truth removes the chronic dread that we all feel wondering, do I measure up to his love today? Is he going to remove his favor and his grace from me? It removes that because his love is not dependent upon your performance. It's dependent upon his unchanging character. But God knows how great of a sinner you are in a far more profound way than even you know about yourself, and yet he continues to lavish his perfect, soul-satisfying, all-consuming love upon you and says to you in your heart, you are mine. Like, you need to know this morning, God knows you, he loves you, But he does that not because you're a good sheep. He does it because he's the good shepherd. And he has this perfect, amazing pursuit of us. You know, we just sang a song about how God leaves the 99 to go and search for the one that's wandering from the fold. Like, Do you believe this morning that you are the one that has wandered away in your life? Do you remember that time in your life that you were distant from him? When you were rebellious, when you were disobeying all the things that God had for you? Do you believe that the good shepherd left the 99 and went after you? He pursued you with all that he was, that nothing was going to stop him from coming after you and wooing you and drawing you to himself. We have that type of relationship with God because he is the good shepherd. Well, not only that, but we also see a third key difference here between the good shepherd and the false shepherds, we see that the ultimate desire for the sheep is remarkably different. When you get to verse 6, we notice that the Jews here are not following Jesus's metaphor. They're confused at this point, and so Jesus spends verses 7 through 18 to kind of unpack this metaphor more. In fact, he, uh, one thing that he does to do that is he introduces a second metaphor. He talks about being the door, or some translations have the gate, This is, again, the second I am statement we see in this passage, and yet within this second metaphor, we see three unique desires that the good shepherd has for the sheep. And we'll unpack this in a moment, but we see that the good shepherd wants to nourish the sheep, wants to protect the sheep, and wants to provide abundant life for the sheep. This is in direct contrast to the false shepherd's. Now, you might wonder, Jesus describing himself as both the gate and the good shepherd, does that present a problem for us? Can he really be both at the same time? Well, Jesus speaking as the gate and uh, the good shepherd actually provides more insight into this metaphor, that him speaking of the gate helps to clarify the image of the shepherd. See, during this time, oftentimes at night, uh, the shepherd would lie in the gap between the uh, sheepfold, the pen there, and the outside world. That the shepherd would actually lie down and become a living door or a living gate, trying to keep the sheep safe and protected in the sheepfold and keeping the predators out. And they would oftentimes even be willing to give up their own life to protect these sheep and and to help nourish them and to provide true life for them. This, in essence, is what Jesus does for the, the sheep that are in his flock. That what he wants, his desire, is to protect them, to bring nourishment for them, and to ultimately provide abundant life for them. George Adam Smith, who was a Scottish preacher in the 1800s, he traveled extensively throughout the Middle East, and he wanted to learn more about this good shepherd metaphor. So he came across a sheepfold, and he said to the shepherd there, he says, and he pointed, he said, is that where the sheep go at night? the shepherd said yes and when they are in there they are perfectly safe and george said but there's no door and yet the shepherd replied i am the door and david looked or george looked at him and asked what do you mean by the door and the shepherd answered well when the light has gone out and all the sheep are inside I lie in that open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. See, when Jesus said that he is the door of the sheep, he is expressing his desire to protect and to help the sheep flourish, even willing to give up his own life. This is a startling difference compared to the false shepherd. Too, in verses 10 through 13 also have three unique desires for the sheep. For them, they want to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. They do not want to protect the sheep. They do not want to nourish the sheep. They want to use them for their own selfish gain. This reminds me of the somewhat confusing and alarming nursery song, The Little Bo Peep. I don't know if you've ever stopped to try to understand the lyrics of that song, but it's, uh, it's kind of unsettling. I was trying to figure out the moral of the song there. Uh, it appears that the moral of the song is to take responsibility or face the consequences for falling asleep, okay? And I thought about that like, man, you're, you're trying to get your child to fall asleep and you're singing this song about that. It wasn't matching up for me. I want you to listen to some of these lyrics. It says, Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home bringing their tails behind them. Little Bo Peep fell fast asleep And dreamt she heard them bleeding. But when she awoke, she found it a joke, for they were all still fleeting. Now, suffice it to say, little Bo Peep was not a faithful shepherdess. She fell asleep, lost track of her sleep, and didn't even really pursue after them. And I was thinking about that and thinking about the false shepherds. And I don't know about you this morning, but I am so thankful that our good shepherd is not like that. I'm so thankful that our good shepherd never falls asleep as he's trying to care for us. I'm so thankful that he never loses any one of us. I'm so thankful that he never frets if we wander away from the fold because he's going to come after us with all that he is. Look, we have a good shepherd who is so unlike the false shepherds of this world. And whether you want to describe these false shepherds as false teachers or sins of this world that want to lure us away from the fold, Jesus Christ is our good shepherd who has his eyes on your soul and wants to push you towards growth in him. I love this about Jesus in verses 9 and 10. We see his desire for the sheep even more clearly. He says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus leads his sheep to finding true and satisfying pasture because he has come to give life and life abundantly. John 10.10 is uh, an amazing verse that Jesus comes to give life or life to the fullest, as some translations have it. I think at the bare minimum, this refers to living a life of purpose and hope and meaning because you can hear the shepherd's voice by his word and follow it. But I think ultimately, the understanding of abundant life is directly connected to the verse that follows verse 10. If you look at verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will go on to say in verses 17 and 18 that he lays down his life for the sheep on his own accord and by his own authority. Like I believe that life to the full is is made possible only because Jesus went to the cross for his rebellious sheep. I think Jesus' death on the cross unlocked the possibility for us as his sheep to now live life the way that it was meant to live. That because Jesus went to the cross for you, paid the price for you, you and I can now live without any condemnation before God. That we can now live our lives experiencing true forgiveness, that those chains to sin, that enslavement has been broken because Jesus went to the cross and disarmed the rulers and the powers and those in authority in the satanic realm. Look, because of the gospel, this abundant life is something that you and I can experience, not just in heaven in the future, but here and now in the present because Jesus pours out his grace and his mercy upon us and we can now be not sinful sheep, but now we can be forgiven sheep. This verse is a reminder that we won't truly find life abundantly in worldly pleasure, in performance, in possessions, in positions, or in worldly pursuits that this world has to offer. But life Abundant life to the full, life overflowing with joy and satisfaction is found when our good shepherd knows us and when we know him. It's made possible through the gospel. So this ultimate desire that the good shepherd has is manifested through Jesus laying down his life for the sheep. But I want you also to notice the connection to now verse 16, that we now see Jesus' ultimate purpose in dying. He says in verse 16, and I have other sheep... That are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Notice that Jesus expresses the purpose for him giving up his life for the sheep. It's ultimately to unite all of the sheep into his one fold. Now, notice the, the global purpose that is on the Good Shepherd's heart, that he wants not just Jews to be saved but he wants Gentiles to be included into this fold as well. Look, notice this this global passion that the good shepherd has, that he wants to reach people to the ends of the earth. Like this is why we at College Park Fishers, this is why we are passionate about global missions. This is why we want to reach unreached people groups because our good shepherd cares about that. That's kind of part of the aim of why Jesus went to the cross is not just to save us and to sit on the gospel, but to go to the ends of the earth to find those people who have not heard about the gospel yet and to join the good shepherd in that work. So this contrast is so rich. It's so clear that the good shepherd and the false shepherds are profoundly different in the way that they enter the sheepfold in their relationship with the sheep, and in their desire for the sheep. We've been spending a lot of time on uh, kind of unpacking the characteristics about the good shepherd as we should. That is the main point of this passage. But I want to close our time this morning by looking at some practical applications, um, by looking at distinguishing marks of genuine sheep. Distinguishing marks of genuine sheep. Again, the, the primary purpose is to highlight the good shepherd. But I think the secondary purpose in this passage is to identify those characteristics of true sheep. Sheep are not wolves in sheep's clothing, but these are genuine, saved sheep that that belong to the good shepherd. Let me point out three as we close this morning. Number one, first, true, genuine sheep. They know, they listen, and they follow Jesus' voice by his word. Look, I love that image of the sheep pen. Uh, back in Jesus's time, you have all of these sheep that are gathered in the sheepfold, fold. And that, that shepherd enters the fold and he begins to speak. And those sheep, they recognize and they listen and they obey that voice. Why? Because they're familiar with it. They've heard that voice every single day. There's, there's a trust and, and an expectation that if I, if I hear that voice, that voice, that person is going to lead me to experiencing true pasture and satisfaction. Look, what a beautiful picture of what our relationship with God's word is supposed to be like that we are to be so familiar with God's voice through his word and expect to be filled and satisfied when we come to it and when we feast upon it daily. Look, man, one of our greatest challenges, I think in daily immersing ourselves in the word of God is that our souls and our lives feel so cluttered at times. There is, there is so much noise going on in our lives and within our own souls you know, by, by the culture around us, by even the, the pace of our lives. There are so many demands from us. Our schedules are so busy and so full, and, and we're, we're battling lingering sin. And I think when you kind of put that all together, all of that clutter and all of that noise, it's so easy for the voice of God to be drowned out in our lives. Now, you look at the true genuine sheep within this metaphor. There. Man, they're not the ones who are in the sheepfold who miss the shepherd's voice because they're immersing themselves in eating dirt. They're not missing the shepherd's voice because they're noticing the beautiful butterflies over here and being distracted. No, they cherish the voice of the shepherd. They, they trust it. They drop everything because they hear it and they expect, man, if I listen to that voice, I'm gonna go and be satisfied. But they knew that if they miss this voice, They don't eat. Look, I want to ask you this morning, does that describe your relationship with the word of God today? You have a relationship with it where it's it's daily, where it's unhurried, where it's undistracted, where there's an expectation, there's a lean in posture to it. When you open this thing up and you, you say, this book is powerful, this book will feed me, this book will satisfy me, this book will give me everything that I need for life and godliness, Or are you a malnourished sheep that's just settling for eating dirt that's skinny as can be? The true, genuine sheep, they they know and they listen and they follow Jesus' voice in God's word. Secondly, another mark of genuine sheep is that they trust in Jesus alone for salvation. They trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Notice verse nine, they enter the sheepfold, By the shepherd who is the door. Now, this is a reference to the means of salvation. That true sheep, they fully depend upon Jesus Christ for his death and resurrection for their own salvation. That true sheep, they do not believe that they'll be saved because of their good works, because of their church attendance, because of their their niceness or their politeness. No, true, genuine sheep, they are saved because of their faith and trust in what Jesus has accomplished that he is the door, that he is the way to salvation. And Jesus gave a dreadful warning about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He said these words. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What a sober scene that Jesus paints on the last day of judgment, that there will be people who come to him who look like sheep, who claim to be sheep, who acted like sheep, and yet the key difference is that they did not know and trust Jesus alone for their salvation. And Jesus says, you are not my sheep, you do not know me, and I do not know you. You know, the sheepfold has multiple entrances. You can jump over the gate there, but there's only one that is correct. It is through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Thirdly here, last one here I'll point out, is that true, genuine sheep experience abundant life. They experience abundant life. You know, one of the desires that the Good Shepherd has, the sheep that we've already looked at, is to provide abundant life. And so if you know, you know that you're a genuine sheep, if you are actually experiencing this abundant life on a regular basis. Now, this abundant life is not abundant because of a lack of difficulty. It's abundant because, look, no matter what you go through in this life, the good shepherd will never leave your side. That's what makes the abundant life so abundant, it's not tied to your circumstances. It's tied to the intimacy that you cultivate with the good shepherd. Look, do you believe that this morning? Do you understand that this life to the full is connected to your relationship with the good shepherd, not tied up in your possessions, not tied up in your position at work, not tied up to your relationships. It's tied directly to the good shepherd and the intimacy that you cultivate with him. Look, that reality, I think that truth, if you really believe it, it will show up when you go through difficult times in this life. When you're caring for aging parents or an aging spouse and your strength is all but dried up, look, are you turning to the good shepherd who provides abundant life for you? Look, when you feel completely overwhelmed, No matter what stage of parenting you find yourself in, you're looking for direction, you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for strength. Are you turning to the good shepherd who promises to provide life to the full? Do you find yourself in a time of just living in the unknown? Unknown maybe due to health issues or job issues or relationship issues. Are you turning to the good shepherd who in him is the source of true life? Look, when you're going through something and you feel like no one understands no one can relate to the pain or the disappointment or the unanswered questions or the sense of loneliness. Do you understand that the good shepherd cares for you in a much more profound way than you even care for yourself? I believe true shepherd or true genuine sheep understand that abundant life is not tied to this world, but it's tied to walking side by side with their good shepherd. Well, as we close this morning, I just want to leave you with this one question. I want you to consider today and this week, just what kind of sheep are you? Are you a growing and healthy sheep marked by these three characteristics? Or are you wandering from the fold of God today? You find yourself listening to the voice of of false shepherds that are taking you down a dangerous path. Maybe you're a sheep who's hurting today. Maybe you feel cast down. Just wanna encourage you today, no matter where you find yourself, Understand this about the good shepherd, that he's for you and not against you. That our good shepherd invites us and calls us to come as we are, to bring all of our burdens, to bring all of our struggles, all of our unanswered questions, and to lay them down before him because he cares for you. He cares for you not as a distant, overly busy CEO, but he cares for you as a loving, sacrificial relational shepherd who will do all that he can to protect you, to nourish you, and to give you abundant life so you can flourish. Praise be to God that we have a chief shepherd who never, ever fails. Let's pray together. God, we give you praise for who you are. God, there's so many rich metaphors in your word that speak to who you are that are culturally relevant today. God, we believe that your word is without error, that it is powerful, that it speaks to us even today. And Lord, we thank you that your arms are open wide for us to come to you even now to lay our burdens before you, knowing that you know them better than we know them. Lord, all these unanswered questions that we might have in this life, the pain, the disappointments, God, you lead us beside still waters. You lead us to the green pasture. And so, God, we come to you wanting nourishment only the ones that you can provide. So thank you, God, for being the good shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.